0: And now, please welcome special guest, USO President and CEO, J.D. Crouch. In honor of Memorial Day, Coca-Cola and the USO are proud to salute America's servicemen and women everywhere around the world. To give the command, here with me today is Don Seif, Don's late husband, Staff Sergeant Andrew Seif, was a decorated Marine, having received the USO's 2013 Marine of the Year Award and the Silver Star on March 6th of this year. Just a few days later, on March 10th, Staff Sergeant Seif, along with 10 other service members, was killed during a training mission off the coast of Florida. In honor of Staff Sergeant Seif, and to all those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our freedom, please join Don and me in saying the most famous words in motorsports: Drivers, Drivers,
1: start your engines!
0: All right, welcome into another edition of the F-Speed Podcast, Tyler Head at Dalton Rolex, with you as always checking my watches, currently 9.12 on Tuesday, May the 31st. The Coke 600 might not be over yet. That race was insanely long. Five hours and 13 minutes, I believe it clocked in at. But despite that, I was thoroughly entertained the entire time.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you have the, I didn't realize it was over five hours, but I guess being up at midnight would make a little bit of sense um no i mean it was it was entertaining as all get out Mm. Uh, you know there were there were some issues along the way um with tires and stuff like that but and it's funny how drivers have a sense of kind of what they're going into Mm. because going into the weekend drivers talked about it being the longest 600 ever which it ended up um based on mileage but I didn't really have any complaints with it, to be 100% honest.
0: No, not at all. And if you thought this episode wasn't going to feature any Texas slander, well, you thought wrong, because here we go. The one thing that popped into my mind as I'm watching this race on Sunday, we had a 400-plus lap race at Charlotte Motor Speedway that managed to stay entertaining the entire time. There was was no lulls in the action. I think the longest screen flag one was like, 35 laps, but still, you had guys up there battling for the lead, guys going three and four wide throughout the pack. You had the guys spinning and the crashes, all this stuff. We went to Texas last week, and that race, which was designed to be short and entertaining and keep these guys bunched up, couldn't stay interesting for more than two laps at a time.
1: Yeah. It's just <sighs> seeing how well this package has performed on mile and a half. And then you just look at Texas over there in the corner like, what are you doing?
0: i uh i tweeted this on sunday night maybe during the race after race i don't remember uh any nascar executive that mentions the 550 package from here on out should immediately be thrown in jail because when looking at what we had on sunday night i'm like did we really waste three years trying to go in a completely different direction with this racing what what did we miss 2019 through 2021 But think back to last year's Coke 600. Kyle Larson leads over 300 laps, wins every single stage. We had one natural caution over the course of a 600 mile race compared to, I guess, when you take out the stage cautions, like 15 natural cautions on Sunday night and guys going just at it really hard. He had comers and goers um Kyle Larson went from the back to the front to the back to the front to the back to the front it was a contention win there at the end Chase Briscoe's up there I thought Austin Dillon was going to win the race uh, there at the very end and then Denny Hamlin comes out of nowhere to win like this race gave us everything and it's like we should never think about going in that direction with the racing ever again this is the answer we finally figured out mile and a halves and we might have gotten treated to the best mile and a half race maybe ever on Sunday night
1: well, I texted you probably halfway through the race. It was the best 600 I'd seen seen in a very long time. Yes, well, you know, and you know, like, in, in, uh, Dale Jr. Obviously, he had the Indy coverage earlier in the day, but he got back to his home in North Carolina and was was watching the race and essentially live tweeting it. And yeah, I thought a really good point was, you know, Charlotte Motor Speedway since the repave, was, the, the track is finally settled in and worn out and. It just made for a hell of a race.
0: Well, and we know kind of going back to last year when NASCAR started experimenting with this resin compound, which is somehow different than PJ1. I don't get into the specifics and know how that's different, but we saw the resin being better at a lot of tracks when we started using it last year. And NASCAR went into the weekend, and I think they only applied it once prior to all the on-track events, and it opened up that top groove the entire weekend. The trucks are up there. The Xfinity cars are up there. The entire 600, these guys were able to run multiple grooves, and we know that's what creates good racing at mile and a half, giving these guys options.
1: Yeah, and you had multiple lanes. I mean, look at how the, the end of the race went when Chase Briscoe was chasing down Kyle Larson a year ago. Yep. First off, he probably didn't even get to him a year ago, but okay. two – he doesn't even get the chance to make a a move on him to try to go for the win.
0: Well, and and speaking on the context of a year ago, Kyle Larson, again, he had a very eventful day on Sunday night. Uh, He goes to the back for the first time. He's probably going to end up finishing somewhere between maybe 12th to 16th because he's not going to be able to fight the dirty air to get up to the front and take the lead again and be in contention at the end of the race. He passed – he must have passed 150 cars. On Sunday night just because he had that ability to tear his way through the pack with a fast car
1: and that's what you want you know you want guys that have great cars to get to the front
0: yeah and the biggest thing to me that I love about the racing this year is the winner is in doubt until the very end of the race and yeah. you know maybe the coke state center le- leaned a little more towards the uh, calamity side up with all the wrecks and stuff like that but You know, you look at Chase Elliott wins the first couple stages. Daniel Suarez wins the stage. Larson's up there. Chase Briscoe looks like he's going to win. Then Hamlin comes out of nowhere to win. Like, that's what makes racing exciting to me, where I feel like I have to tune in until the very last lap to know who's going to win the race. Go back to the Coke 600 last year. I could have told you at the end of stage number one, well, as long as he doesn't crash himself, Kyle Larson's going to win this race. And that's exactly what happened. Sunday night, Chase Elliott leading the race pretty much spins himself out. Kyle Busch spins out battling for the lead. Like there is no safe place on the racetrack anymore because these guys are pushing the limits because the teams are pushing the limits of the tires. And that's what um, I'm afraid NASCAR is going to overreact at some point to all these tires being blown. But to Goodyear's defense, they have a set of guidelines saying, Hey, here's where your air pressures need to be at the start of the race. You know, when you make pit stops and that kind of stuff, and the teams intentionally go under that, trying to gun those downforce advantages, put those cars as low to the track as they can. I thought Fox did a really good job of showing just how much those tires were giving and how soft they were early on in runs. Um, And, again, that's the teams trying to gain an advantage by manipulating the set of guidelines they're given, and that leads to the blown tires. That leads to these guys spinning out. So I don't want NASCAR to mandate Goodyear to start bringing harder tires because this is on the teams, not on Goodyear making the tires.
1: Well, I think that's the key. I mean, look, you give everybody some guidelines, and if you don't want to follow, you are going to push the envelope, then so be it. But there, w- there could be consequences. And as we saw Sunday night, there were, and multiple times. But at the end of the day, just from a racing purist standpoint, what we saw Sunday was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I mean, easily the best Coke 600 ever. Like, yeah. I, you know, maybe, I, maybe there's one in the 80s or the 90s that I wasn't alive for to see that somebody may want to argue with better. <laughs> going off the results of the jeff cluck poll this is charting as one of the best races in the history of that poll with i believe 91 percent it came in as uh earlier today so and and again another mile and a half that is up in that 80 90 percent marker that was almost unheard of for the past couple seasons just because outside of the couple, first couple laps after a restart mile and a half sucked generally
1: what i think the most telling stat for from that poll was who the winner was. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, it's not like Denny Hamlin is some crowd favorite. You know, yeah. Chase, Elliott, Chase Elliott could win the worst race of all time. And like, oh my God, it was so great. 90%. You know, he'd still draw the 90%. Yeah. But the fact that Denny Hamlin won it, and it still got over 90 percent to me that's telling there's really a crowd that just absolutely loved what they saw
0: and not only that i believe this race in fontana earlier this year were the two poll results that received the most votes overall like thirty-six thousand people and nascar can deny that all they want that's a pretty good barometer for what your fan base is thinking about something
1: yeah yeah and twitter isn't every fan obviously but I will say this, this was something that I saw in the comments of one of the polls a few weeks back, and I completely agree with it. You know, you want to appeal to a younger audience. That's your Twitter audience. Yes. You know, and like, it's just, I hope NASCAR executives look at it and go, you know what? Yeah. We're, we're onto something here. And that's,
0: that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another kind of thing I was thinking about after watching the race on Sunday night, just kind of taking in everything that we've seen. It's like, you know, and I don't mind all the gimmicks that NASCAR's brought out. I think the playoffs are fine. I don't mind stages. You know, it, it's part of the sport, but it's like NASCAR has tried so hard to essentially do this damage control where, and really when you look at the Gen 6 era of NASCAR, that's the most changes the sport has ever seen over a period of time because the racing product, we, we couldn't, find where we wanted the racing product to be. It'd be good one year, they change something, it'd be bad, they change something again, be kind of good, then go back to bad again. And we were just like constantly fighting the gen six car. And that's where a lot of the ratings decline has come. So we got the playoffs, we got stages, we got these ridiculous all star formats over the past couple years. But when I looked at last night's race or Sunday night's race, I was like, this is what is going to grow your sport, putting on good on track product where these drivers are up on the wheel, fighting each other for the lead, for 10th, for 20th, three wide throughout the race, crashing, driving on the razor's edge. Like the playoffs aren't going to bring people in. Stages aren't going to bring people in. Showing them good racing is going to create new fans and keep the ones you have around. And that yep. is where, and again, it created NASCAR. They made the next gen car. They accidentally settled on this town force package when they realized what they were trying to do wasn't going to work. Uh, late last year so i give them credit where credit is due but this the on-track product is what is going to grow the sport
1: yeah i I mean it's definitely it was and it's funny like you said they just stumbled upon this it wasn't something they were planning on doing um and i'm thankful they did for sure
0: yeah and and looking at the um the speeds that these guys are running on sunday night they were running you know a couple miles an hour faster than the cars were with the 550 package you know 550 straightaway speeds were anywhere between like 180 to like 185. These guys were running a little bit faster, but I didn't care because I knew they had a handful. They were driving on the edge and they were able to battle each other and pass each other. Again, speed is a subjective thing and I want these cars to go as fast as they possibly can go. But you give me a show like they did on Sunday night. I don't care how fast they're going. Just keep racing like that. I agree. So, We've kind of been talking about this race in a broad sense. Let's kind of get down to some more specifics here. Did we even mention that Denny Hamlin won this race? I think maybe in passing. Yeah. So Denny Hamlin starts on the pole, and if you would have not seen a single lap of this race, checked and saw, oh, Denny Hamlin won, like, I ah, probably dominated and led a bunch of laps, won some stages. That was not the case at all because early on in this race, the 11 team was completely out to lunch, looked at, at best maybe they'll get a top 10, and uh, they were in the right position on that last restart battling his teammate Kyle Bush down the line, and Denny Hamlin now checks off the final crown jewel on his list of achievements as he's won his first ever Coke 600.
1: I couldn't believe it was his first one.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, just competitive he's been throughout the year, especially in recent years. And, I mean, I, and that's the thing, too, is, like, not to get off on too much of a tangent. It's like when you think of guys like Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch like, that have been in sport for a long time, but they've never won Daytona, the Daytona 500. Well, it's like, you only go there once a year. You, I just, it's just, you just expect those guys to win, you know?
0: Yeah. Um. And I'm trying to think here. I don't believe he ever won the October race at Charlotte either. So I believe this is his first oval win. And took, actually, he's never won the oval either. So he's never yeah, won anything they, at Charlotte. I want
1: to say they said it was his
0: first ever win at Charlotte. Which, when you think about how good he is at places like Atlanta, texas all the other mile and a half that he seemingly won at like that's kind of surprising that he never found a way to win at charlotte until sunday
1: very surprising yeah but it's really uh
0: quickly on his season right now last year denny hamlin was running with this remarkable consistency always up front leading laps winning stages but just couldn't quite figure out how to get that win until we got to playoff time this year He's doing the complete 180 where he's not running anywhere near the front, but through tire strategy at Richmond a couple weeks ago, and then through just the sheer carnage of what happened on Sunday night, he's now got two wins and he's sitting, what, third in the playoff standings as of right now? So, yeah, you know, sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. And maybe that's what it takes for Hamlin to finally win himself a championship.
1: Could be, you know, and it's, like you said, been a little inconsistent to say the least so far this year, but. They're still trying to figure out the new car like everybody else is.
0: So for Denny Hamlin, I believe that was his 47th career win. He's creeping up on 50. I know that. Um, I believe Junior Johnson's the next one on the win list. He's got three Daytona 500s. He's won three Southern 500s. He's now won the Coke 600. If you consider the Bristol Night Race crown jewel, which I personally do, uh, he's won several of those as well. Like, and obviously the championship's the only box left to check for him. I feel like personally he's surpassed Mark Martin as the best driver and ever won a championship in NASCAR history. Controversial as that may be.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: So, um, and again, he's still got plenty of racing left to go. Um, You know, I I don't, and I I know we both listened to him on the Dale junior download last week. It seems like as long as FedEx is sticking around, he's going to keep racing that 11 car. So I know everybody, as soon as the driver turns 40, which it's actually kind of surprising me that Denny Hamlin's 41 years old now. That feels kind of weird. Um, but it feels like every single season he's always like that top guy on the list, like, oh, is he going to retire? Is he going to retire? But I don't see any indication of him slowing down anytime soon. Doesn't sound like it. So, and who knows, maybe this could be easier to finally win that championship. I feel like we say that every single year, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some names that didn't have such a fun night on uh, Sunday. We'll just kind of group these guys together a little bit. Chase Elliott, super fast, won some stages, maybe had the car to in the early going, spins out as many drivers did. And I hate to pile on Alan Gustafson. It, it, maybe it's just that it was the Coke 600 for the second time in three years. He didn't know the rules about the DVP. And so Chase Elliott, who really didn't have any damage from his spin, very minimal damage, if anything, uh, comes in, they repair the damage, they're on the clock. And I believe it was the short uh, run to the end of the stage. So then the stage ends or whatever, and he never met minimum speed according to NASCAR standards. So when they came back in to continue to fix the damage under the stage break, he exceeded his six minutes, and he was sent to the garage. And that was a case of just not knowing the rules. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I understand the the damage vehicle policy, but I also don't like it either. I mean, because it also happened to. To Bubba Wallace
0: it did yep, um
1: uh, you know, like it just it sucks seeing two really good cars out of the race because their crew chiefs didn't completely know the rules and and it's a rule, I get it, they should have known it, and and they both acknowledge the fact that they should have should have known that, but come on now
0: it it's one of those things like I feel like you have to have that rule kind of be black and white though, because if you say something like, okay, you know you're on the damaged vehicle policy only if your car has significant cosmetic damage where parts are hanging off and you know there are risk of things falling onto the racetrack which at the end of the day is why nascar did this in the first place to prevent cars from limping around there with taped on bumpers and welded on doors spitting debris all over the racetrack so it's like okay if you say well if you don't really have like much cosmetic damage you don't go on the dvp well then it becomes well where's the line between what's cosmetic damage and what is it and that's right. what where- things could get even more complicated and would probably lead to an even dumber rule. Yep. So unfortunate for those guys. And I'm glad you mentioned Bubba Wallace too. He was really fast and early going in this race. Never went up there and took the lead, but you kind of feel like with the he had, it probably was going to be one of those cars. that was going to be even better as the night wore on, as it transitioned to a night race. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we never got to see that.
1: Yeah. I didn't ever get to see it.
0: Oh man, Tyler Reddick, how close are you going to come to winning your first race over and over and over again? He's giving me Kyle Larson 2.0 because every single week he's got a fast car, he's leading, he's putting himself in position and either through his own fault or through just dumb luck, he ends up choking a win away. And once again, the Coke 600 slips from his fingertips as, and it was just, it was a tire issue, which they you can blame that on the driver to a degree, but everybody had that problem. Um, dang it, when's this guy going to win a race?
1: I still think he's going to be this year, um, but it's just frustrating for him. I mean, it's just, it's like you said, again and again, you have a great car, and you've got the car to beat, some may say, and you can't pull out with the win. So, I think he's coming this year, but I've been thinking a couple times this year he's, he's had a chance to win it.
0: Well, his best chance was at the Bristol dirt race when he was leading going into turns three and four, and uh, his old dirt buddy, Chase Briscoe, uh, came flying in there and ended up taking them both out, and deja vu, we had this great battle in the late stages of the Coke 600, where it's like, man, it's going to be Kyle Larson, Chase Briscoe, looks like Briscoe kind of has the faster car, he's just waiting for his right moment to make the move, and I believe it was, was it three to go or two to go, right, it was almost almost at the very end of the race, um, he goes underneath Kyle Larson and in almost a exact replica of what happened in the Bristol dirt race, turns that thing sideways and basically just backs it into the fence.
1: Yeah, I mean I just think it's dumb personally. Mm-hmm. And I face Briscoe. I, I, I do, but it's just I, Bristol was dumb in my opinion, mm-hmm. because um, you know, you, you neither one of you won the race yep and the same exact thing happened this past weekend you know i they they battled and i felt like he had a fast enough car because he slipped up there with about five or six to go and you kind of thought well that's it and the next thing you know he charges right back to larson's back bumper and larson was fighting whatever in that car He, he wasn't wasn't running as well and you felt like briscoe had just had the better car just just be patient and, and again it had been different if it was the if it was the last lap like it was at bristol you know the last corners and on the last lap but it wasn't You had two to go and look i guess that's only le- going to leave you six more corner yeah six more corners but it's like dude you didn't need to
0: and briscoe obviously got the win at phoenix so he's got the monkey off his back of chasing his first win but when you think about this Think about the Bristol dirt race. You think about what happened at the Indy road course last year. He's building up this reputation for when he gets presented these moments to win races, like you said on Sunday night, where he probably had the better car, he's finding a way to choke these wins away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, again, it just, and then it set up, you know, they had the restart. Some guys took two tires, some took four, and then everybody wrecked.
0: Yep. Well, that that was the theme the entire night, it seems like. How many big ones did we have? At least three. Three, yeah. Three to come to mind. Quickly, I've already mentioned Kyle Larson a little bit. Back to the front, back to the front. He has an issue in uh, Saturday in practice and qualifying, scrapes the wall, has to start in the back, drives his way to the front. He had, I think, three total pit road penalties over the course mm-hmm. of the day. Speeding, he had the issue where um, I believe the tire got knocked out of his tire carrier's hands or something um mm-hmm. so you know issues on all fronts his gas tank catches on fire in like stage two like this guy and he even said it like prior to the end of stage two like this is the worst race of my life oh my god and there he was at the very end it was a chance to win if chase briscoe doesn't end up uh, causing that caution and, and costing both those guys the win i put that on cliff daniels though because he was cool handled the entire night and I went back and was skimming through the race again. The speech he gave to Kyle Larson before, like, stage number three, that's it, that is that—is from the Chad Canal School of Crew Chiefing. He was calm yep. and cool. He said, hey, I know things haven't been great. I'm not worried. These guys down here aren't worried. You're a good driver. You shouldn't be worried either. Let's go get this thing.
1: Yeah, when, when, they, when, when Fox played that, I, I texted my buddies that was watching the race, and I was like – I would run through a brick wall for Cliff Daniels right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, it almost paid off. They almost won the race. Yeah. So um,
0: just that, be- that,
1: that, that right there is what championship caliber teams do.
0: Absolutely. And I know Kyle Larson doesn't have the sheer amount of wins that, you know, he had this time last year, but the speed these guys are bringing every single week, could have won Kansas, could have won Charlotte uh, this weekend. Um, probably gonna be very fast at gateway. Like, they're i feel like they're getting into their stride as the summer's coming along and those those winds are going to start clicking off here soon
1: yep chris busher
0: uh races go race is already going really long Where i think we're in stage four at this point uh i have to be up at like five o'clock on monday morning by the way so i'm watching this like okay like maybe if we can get done by like 11 15 i'll get a good five six hours of sleep we'll be okay and then Daniel Suarez spins, Chris Busher spins and there are a few times in my life as a NASCAR fan where I stared at the TV with my mouth open um like speechless at what I just saw Chris Busher flipping down the front stretch was one of those moments for me.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I mean it was I it almost and it was weird like I remember like watching it it felt like the it was slow mo, like when it was actually happening, um, just because you don't expect to see that at Charlotte, you know. Right. Um, but I guess the, the the he dug into the front end, dug into the ground somehow. Maybe they were saying maybe a drain or something, but yeah, I want to have like six or seven
0: flips in a very like short like span of space too. Like it was just one after another after another, and unfortunately for him, he ended up staying on his lid. And you know you go back to Harrison Burton's wreck at Daytona. I believe he either landed on all fours or he landed on his side, so he's not completely upside down. This was the first instance where the next gen car was completely on its roof, and the AMR safety team had to go through their protocol of flipping the car back over, and it took them about five minutes. And I'll give them a pass because it's the first time they've had to do that in a live, like real situation. I really hope that number comes down because of Chris Buescher was significantly hurt in that wreck those five minutes could have been uh pretty serious
1: well i'm gonna defend i'm gonna defend them here for just a second Mm -hmm. they didn't communicate because i thought the same thing i was like why are they not because my initial thought was oh my gosh he's hurt yes you know but then but then it it was you know busher said that he let his team know he was fine that it's gonna take him a second so i didn't have as big a problem with it then what i found out that the safety team knew that he was okay. Yeah,
0: and, and maybe that gives them a little more leeway to take their time and make sure that you know dot their T's and cross their I's or dot their I's yeah. and cross their T's.
1: Either way works. But And the other thing, too, I want to give a shout-out to NASCAR on Fox for not showing the wreck yes. at, of it until they knew he was okay.
0: I, I feel like, and NBC does this, too, I feel like in those situations when we know – it could be serious, you know, Ryan Newman's wreck. We never saw the replay of Ryan Newman's wreck, you know, just because it looked like he might've actually been gone. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, Austin Dillon's wreck at, at, Daytona in 2015, like in those situations, I feel like the TV partners do do a good job of making sure the driver gets out and is okay before they show the replays of the wreck. Right. So, but yeah, fortunately Chris Buescher was okay. Probably had a lot of blood that ran to his head. Um, but, you know, in one of those situations, like, okay, it's good that they were able to, you know, go through it, figure it out, it was okay, there wasn't this sense of urgency, and hopefully nobody ever gets hurt when flipping one of these things. Hopefully it's the, great, the safest car ever, um, but if one of those situations does come about, at least they've got some reps under their belt uh, for next time. Right. Oh my goodness, what have we missed from that? We probably missed a lot because so many things happened in this race that I knew we weren't going to be able to talk about.
1: Well, and that, that's the thing is there's just so much. And it's like, I seriously, like we could probably do two or three episodes. We could probably do an episode for each stage if we wanted to. There was just so much that went on. But I was just, I was very, I was optimistic, obviously, going into the weekend because yeah. of what ours done so far this year. But I, honestly, my expectations were, were blown away. To be yeah. I, I don't know how you felt about it, but that's the way I felt.
0: No, I I was completely blown away. I I thought the racing was going to be good, given what we'd seen at most of the mile and a half this year, minus Texas, of course. I thought it was going to kind of be like a lot of Coke 600s, though, where those first two stages were, you know, kind of lull. Everybody's kind of figuring their cars out, getting themselves in a position for later on the race, and then we'd get, you know, crazy stage three and stage four. But, man, as soon as they dropped that green flag, they turned the wick up, and this thing was full-on chaos. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, shout out to Jamie McMurray for another incredible job in the booth in the Coke 600 um, and Fox as a whole. And I feel like it probably had to do with the fact that Fox really goes hard with the Memorial Day theme with Coke 600. Fox Sports Remembers and, you know, paying tribute to the service members that lost their lives and having those moments and showing the B-roll and all that stuff. So that's not exactly a good race to be really goofy with things. So I think that kind of helped the tone of the broadcast overall. But, man, Jamie McMurray is incredible. He and Clint Boyer just have a good chemistry with each other. They've raced against each other for a long time. Mike Joy is still, in my opinion, the best color commentator in NASCAR history. So that booth is, is rock solid. And I hope if we have to make a permanent third guy, Jamie McMurray's at the top of that list. I agree. He's been phenomenal. We'll get to the booth mate for St. Louis here in a little bit. Unfortunately. Oh, man, we spent like 30 minutes talking about the Coke Center. There was other big racing going on on Sunday, uh, including the Indy 500. And uh, Marcus Erickson ends up getting his third career win, um, his first ever Indy 500. But, man, Scott Dixon is probably still not slept a wink since Sunday because he starts on the pole. He has this ridiculously fast car throughout the qualifying sessions. Chip Ganassi Racing basically was going to win this race one way or the other. And Scott Dixon had this race won, and just like Juan Pablo Montoya at Indy in 2009, he sped on pit road. And now he's still, despite winning all these championships, just a one-time, and winning five poles at Indy, just a one-time Indy 500 winner.
1: Yeah, he's got one more than me and you combined. That's true, but that's not very much. No. I don't know. It's just you're you're sitting there watching it, and, you know, one of the knocks I've I've had on Indy car I, I've over the past couple of years I've got more into it but um one of the knocks I always had is I always feel like you know the guy out front's always going to win and it did feel that way but boy I mean Pillow had his issue with the pitting in the middle of a uh, green flag cycle and then next thing you know there's a caution right. that took him of it and then obviously the horrific speeding um penalty on Dixon there at the end just completely changed everything and um you know the the one if seriously i i don't know a ton about marcus erickson hmm. but put jimmy ahead of him of the ganassi cars i'd been like yeah probably if you said what Ganassi, if dixon and pelot didn't win what ganassi car was it? oh it was definitely jimmy or like, yeah. what?
0: and hey i I pick anon and he was he was close. I think he restarted third on that last restart. Yep. So I mean, okay, maybe my pick will come true, but you no, know, Marcus Erickson uh, was able to hold off Pato award, which, by the way, Pato Awards a really good talent. Who lifts on
1: the last lap at Indy
0: going into turn number one?
1: If he never, if he never wins, I, I think it will be a what if. Definitely.
0: Especially because he's and he's and you know, he's got a couple wins in IndyCar already. He's really pushing hard to go to F1. And that's been—that's what, yeah. I mean, what he's always wanted to do. And he could be there in a couple of years. So yeah, he may only have a handful of Indy 500 starts left. And yeah, if he never wins, he's gonna look back on that and think, "What did he? Why did I do that?" Because he literally handed Erickson the win at that moment. Yeah. Um, the, the and this is almost like deja vu of 2014. You know, we were on Jimmy watch. You know, we wanted him to have a good run. He was not having a good run. He was running back in the 20s. And you're at least hoping okay, finish all the laps, you know, get to the end. Just say you finished the Indy 500, and he came up a couple laps short, I think six laps. He ends up pounding the wall off turn number two. Luckily, he was okay, um, but a tough break for Jimmy Johnson. But what that set up was a decision for IndyCar. Do you let this race end under yellow, or do you red flag it and give these 350,000 fans that are back for the first time in three years a proper finish to the Indy 500, and I'm completely on board with them red flagging and letting this
1: race end under green. I agree. I, I agree. I, I don't think a race should ever end under caution, but that's just me.
0: And you know, I like IndyCar car racing. I've been a fan for a long time. The Indy car purists and the gatekeepers really annoy me because they believe the IndyCar car is this upper echelon of motorsports that shouldn't dare delve in any kind of gimmick that NASCAR would deem worthy of their racing. And I guess completely ignore push to pass and the Indy 500 being double points, but that's besides the point. So you have these outraged people on Sunday, like how dare this race go red flag. I want a attend under yellow. I want all 350,000 of those people to go home having not seen a green flag finish when they announced this race is going to be red flagged, the entire state of indiana erupted it sounded like all those fans in attendance were on board with it i thought to myself you know if i spent thousands of dollars traveling from where i'm at to the indy 500 spent you know the entire weekend there watch this entire race heck yeah i want to see that race in degree, green screw the purists
1: yeah exactly so you know
0: and i think Roger Penske's done a really good job since he's taken over IndyCar. And I think he is doing – those those are kind of the small little details. And I'm not saying he had an influence over that decision happening. But a Roger Penske-led IndyCar is one where they're going to try and give fans a green flag finish if they can. And that's exactly what happened. On, well, technically the race did end or yellow because Sage Karam hit the wall of turn number two. But still, they had a red flag and a restart to attempt to make it a green flag finish. Right. And at the end of the day, it still was a 500-mile race. There's no overtime. There's no green-white checkered. They still ran the advertised distance of 200 laps, and that's, the, that's, that's it. No more, no less. Um, so I don't know what people are upset about. You got what you paid for. Absolutely. Uh, quickly, the third race on Sunday, the first race that went on in the morning, was the Monaco Grand Prix. I, I won't lie, I didn't get to watch this entire thing because uh, it ended up running into the Indy 500 broadcast because it rained. Uh, this was a mess. To say the least, Uh, Sergio Perez didn't end up winning uh, for Team Red Bull. Uh, I believe, did I pick him last week? You did. Can I uh, admit something really quick about that? So if you listen back to last week's podcast, I said I was impressed by the speed of Ferraris, and that's why I was picking Sergio Perez. I actually meant to say Carlos Sainz, who's actually a Ferrari driver, not Sergio Perez, who drives for Team Red Bull. So I will personally dock myself that point because that's not the name I actually meant to say.
1: <laughs> well, I it tells you how much I know about F1. Cause I was just like, yeah, whatever. And it's funny because
0: I didn't realize it until I was editing. I was like, Did I really say him driving for a Ferrari. And then he ended up winning. I was like, Oh no, I got that right. But I can't in good conscience take that victory. <laughs> Um, as I mentioned to you before we started this podcast, there's talk that this could potentially be the last Monaco Grand Prix. I don't know if that means they're going to replace it with something on Memorial Day weekend. And, you know, we're not the most diehard F1 fans in the world, but there is something nice about being able to start the day with a race uh, leading into the Indy 500 and then leading into the 600. So having that morning part missing would definitely be uh, something I wouldn't want to see go.
1: Yeah, definitely. So.
0: Back to Charlotte, because, oh, boy, we had some other races going on there this weekend. And I mentioned this to you before we started recording, too. From the ARCA race on Friday night, which was the most ARCA race I think I've ever seen in my life. That just, what, I, we could dedicate an entire podcast to that race itself. We'll skim over that. But between that, the Chuck race, the Xfinity race, Monaco being a mess, Indy being chaotic, and the Coke 600 being this wild barn burner, this has got to be the most chaotic
1: full weekend of racing effort it's definitely the the most chaotic one I can remember in a very long time for sure
0: so Saturday's Xfinity Series race Josh Berry picks up uh another win and he has this great battle with his teammate Justin Allgaier and dang it Justin Allgaier I know he's got his win it uh you know he's got to win this season and everything like that but dang it this guy just kind of similar to like Kyle Larson where he's got the speed every single week but just ends up coming up a little bit short time after time after time. And this ended up being ends up scraping the wall after having this great battle with his teammate.
1: Yeah. I thought it was amazing was how many, I think it was seven guys finished on the lead lap. Mm-hmm. It was a very,
0: very old school type of race. Yeah. And it's fitting that an old school type of race like Josh Berry ended up winning. Mm-hmm. And for a guy like Josh Berry, when you kind of look at the different types of tracks, this guy has won on, it's like, okay, you know, that championship resume is starting to come into form a little bit here. This guy knows how to get it done just about everywhere. Yeah. So, um, truck race on Friday night. Oh, boy. Carson Hosovar looks like he's well on his way to his first career victory. You know, I've, I've been big on this guy for a while. I know you're a fan of him, too. That dreaded caution comes out. Setting up the inevitable green-white checkered. He's side-by-side with Ryan Priest going in turns three and four. And, I mean, he just lost it. He's going for his first win, drives underneath Priest, the back him comes around, ends up taking them both out. And you feel for, you feel for Carson Hosovar because this is a guy that's shown time and time again he's got the speed, he's got the talent, he just can't quite close the deal. Ryan Priest is very upset. And to a degree I can understand because he is somebody that's not running full-time in anything. So anytime he jumps in a truck, an Xfinity car or a Cup Series car, He's out there trying to find a way to win the race. And he almost did that in Friday night's truck series race. What I didn't agree with was his attempt at shaming Ryan at shaming Carson Hosomar for going hard for his first win.
1: Yeah. I, it just, it it didn't, it didn't fit. I mean, it was, if it was, if it was somebody that came out there and paid their way Mm -hmm. to her truck, okay, maybe then, but, I mean, what's he supposed to do? Like, you know, like you said earlier, um, talking about the Indy 500, you know, Pat award lifted, mm-hmm. going yeah, – there's a difference between truck series and the Indy 500, I get it. Okay. But the same thing, you're going for your first win. You don't know – you know, you may never win again. You know, he's not going to lift. No.
0: Um, no, and, again, to a degree, I can understand the frustration for Ryan Priest, and he seemed to continue to carry those thoughts even after the race. Um, I don't know what his next truck series race is, but you know I don't think it's something you're going to have to watch every single week because he's not out there every single week. But I give major props to Carson Osivar because he didn't, he didn't back down from what he did. Like he owned up to the mistake. I mean, what else do you want the guy to do? Right. So Carson Osivar is a heck of a talent. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to pick him to win this weekend because I think he's going to finally break through and get it at some point. Um, but he's one of these guys that I think is going to win a lot of races for a lot of years to come over nascar's top three series you just you just watch certain guys as they're coming up realizing they kind of have that it factor i think mm-hmm. Arsenal, as far as that next guy i think he's the next big chevy development driver that we're going to see climbing up the ranks here soon he's only 19 years old
1: yeah i think that's the craziest part i feel like he's mid to late
0: 20s yeah i feel like he's been around forever but he has it. yeah uh quickly some news and god every, with everything else that happened this weekend this almost got lost in the shuffle. A Trackhouse Racing, who is just completely paving their own path in the Cup Series. They were doing things their way, and it's working right now. Ross Chastain winning races, Daniel Suarez up front. And now they're adding a third car for select events over the next couple seasons called Project 91 with the sole intent of getting international drivers to come race in the Cup Series. And now they're going to be running Watkins Glen for the first race with retired F1 driver Kimi Räikkönen.
1: It's interesting, for sure. I, I mean, it's um, – I think it's definitely a PR stunt a little mm-hmm. bit. I, I thought that because that sounds bad. Mm. Um, but what do you have to lose, you know, I, I, kind of the way I look at it.
0: Yeah. So, Raikkonen um, uh, has been running in – has run over the course of 20 years in, in F1, retired at the end of last season. He's the 2001 F1 world champion. So, And he's somebody that has a lot of fans around the world. So it's a big name to bring in. Um, I, you know, He's obviously run NASCAR before he ran some races back in 2011 in the truck and the Xfinity Series. Um, so he's a guy that's familiar with NASCAR to a degree. I like this. Now, is this going to mean that Lewis Hamilton's going to come run a NASCAR Cup Series race? Probably not. But you think about the possibilities of somebody like uh, Kimi and maybe like a Daniel Ricciardo, who's a really big NASCAR fan. Romain Grosjean, who's running IndyCar right now. You know, these guys, Simon Pagino, these guys from around the world that you could very easily get to a Cup Series car.
1: Here's your avenue and here's your opportunity. Yeah. And for that, it'll be cool to see. I just, I wonder how much success they'll have with it. I do think
0: it's, uh, you know, a a tactical move to run on road courses where these guys' road course skill is probably going to be able to make up for whatever deficiency that car may have. Um, so I think, you know, do I think Kimmy Rikkonen is going to go out there and win Watkins? Lin? No, but does he have a good shot at maybe getting a top 10? I think so.
1: Yeah, especially in that equipment the way they've this year.
0: And, uh, this, there's, this is completely speculation, but if Jimmy Johnson ever wanted to come back to NASCAR for a one-off, here's a car.
1: Yeah. So has got the connection.
0: Um, but that's, that maybe, maybe never happens. I'd love to see it happen maybe once, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, this was announced earlier today 2023 the championship race will return to phoenix uh that will mark the what 21 the th- the fourth year in a row that phoenix hosts the championship race and i think i kind of share this sentiment with everybody I'm just kind of like eh you know is phoenix the worst track to host the championship bat no is it the best far from it it just hasn't and you and I talk about this every single year. They race there for the championship. It just doesn't have that championship feel to it.
1: No. The biggest thing for me is the fact that the championships won during the day. Yeah. And, like, there was just something about Homestead. I, I'd still put it back there if I could. Yeah. Um, there was something about, like, starting it off in the evening and then, you know, going into the nighttime. and You knew the nighttime was – you know, just the way the cars look, and it just felt like a championship moment.
0: Yeah, and, you know, when you think back to the spring race that being so early this year, it had an exciting end where you had, you know, guys like Ross Chastain and Chase Briscoe and Tyler Reddick fighting those last couple laps, but the race overall was just kind of, it was okay. It wasn't great, nothing to write home about, and, you know, I think um, I'm so glad that Homestead's in the playoffs again this year. We're probably going to have this barn burner of a race at Homestead, like three weeks before the championship race. And then if we end up having a dud at Phoenix, it's going to make it look even worse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just kind of viewed Phoenix as a placeholder until NASCAR maybe figured out the mile and a half thing, which they've obviously done now. We've got great mile and a half racing. So it's like, why wouldn't you move back to a, um, a homestead or something like that? But at least for 2023, we're stuck with Phoenix again. Exactly. A real quick last little thing, and this was announced prior to the Indy 500, uh, IndyCar starting next year is switching fuel man- fuel providers to Shell gasoline instead of Speedway gasoline. Obviously there's the Penske connection there. But the interesting thing about this is Shell is going to be using 100% renewable fuel for IndyCars, which is made from pure sugar cane. And you know, as we're in NASCAR talking about the next gen car, the new engines coming somewhere down the line we don't know what that year is going to be i think this is a big key to the future of nascar we don't want nascar to go full electric nascar doesn't want to go full electric we want them to have internal combustion v8 engines for as long as they possibly can and 100% renewable fuel is got to be the way to go
1: yeah i mean it's just it's a it's a big time announcement for sure
0: so And, again, with the Penske connection there, obviously, with his role in NASCAR, you hope that those two sides kind of come together and hopefully figure something out there too. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Holy God, this might be the longest episode we've ever done here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We're going to a track that I'm very excited for this weekend in Gateway. It's a track I've loved for a long time. I've been so excited to finally get to see it on the Cup Series uh, calendar. Um, You know, it really doesn't – it's really not like any other track. It's flat like a Martinsville in New Hampshire, but it's got longer straightaways, so the speeds are going to be bigger. Um, I don't know. I'm really, really excited for this weekend, and I'm so glad NASCAR is going to a really big market in St. Louis with
1: its top pro- with its top series. I think it's definitely a market that you can tap into, for sure.
0: Absolutely. So I'm super excited for it. And speaking of new markets, the Xfinity Series is going to go to Portland this weekend, And I won't lie. I've only watched Portland when the uh, Indy cars run there a couple times. Can't say I know too much about the track, but the Xfinity series always puts on a good show at the road courses. And uh, you know, if you're trying to tap into a a new market, I think it's going to be hopefully a good race on Saturday.
1: Yeah, the Pac Northwest is definitely an area that doesn't get much love from NASCAR.
0: Uh, I guess there's a very good chance it could be raining at this race because it rains quite a bit up there, right? It could. It's that time of year too. Certainly is. All right, with that, we'll roll into our picks. The Truck Series is going to be running on Saturday at Gateway prior to the Cup Series race on Sunday. I already gave away my pick, so I'll just go ahead and say it. Carson Josevar, I'm going to keep picking him until he finally wins. I think he gets redemption for coming up short this past week.
1: Well, he was my number one pick this week. So I will go with my backup pick of Ben Rhodes.
0: Okay. All right, good pick there. Uh, The Xfinity Series going out to Portland um again can't say i know too much about this racetrack i'm just gonna guess you're gonna pick aj allmendinger
1: no actually
0: all right go ahead
1: i'm gonna go justin allgaier justin
0: allgaier okay
1: Bet- veteran somebody's not gonna go out there and try to do too much but has good road course experience and success on road courses
0: so at the coda race i went really outside the box and went with sage Karam. Uh, given his IndyCar experience. I thought he'd have a good shot at winning that race. Didn't happen. Uh, Another guy that's driving that 44 car this weekend is actually Andy Lally, who Mm -hmm. has been around the NASCAR ranks for a long time, experienced road racer. That 44 car has shown speed at times, and I think with Andy Lally on a road course, it's kind of a good shot at running up front. Yep. So now the Cup Series on Sunday, first time ever racing at Gateway. There's only a handful of guys in the cup series that, uh, you know, have experience at gateway, you know, the guys like Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, obviously running the truck series there, you know, guys like Kevin Harvick and Brad Kozlowski haven't run there in over a decade, you know, back when the Bush cars ran there. Um, So it's a really interesting mix to, to know who has the uh, experience going into this weekend.
1: I ain't going to go with a guy that has experience and he won a truck race there a few years ago. I'm going to go Christopher Bell.
0: Okay, I thought you were going to steal my pick. uh, and (laughs) I tweeted this out last night because it's the single worst call in Vince Welch's entire career as the lead uh, commentator. I'm going to go with Ross Chastain. And to quote Vince Welch, the wheel is still perfect. Oh, no. So, uh, really excited for this weekend, like I said. Um, Gateway's a really good track, and I'm really excited to see what it does in the Cup Series. Mm Mm-hmm. So now we catch our breath. That was a really long podcast after a action-packed weekend of racing. And I feel like we didn't even scratch the surface on a lot of things.
1: I don't know, We may listen to it back and be like, man, we missed that, that, that. But
0: Maybe we need a late-week podcast to get everything that we missed. A
1: ton of stuff.
0: Well, anyways, we'll be back next week to talk all things Gateway in Portland and look ahead to NASCAR traveling out to the West Coast and go to Sonova the weekend after that. So
1: for Dalton Mullinex, I'm Tyler Head. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.